want to share with you this morning is we're going to be looking briefly at a few verses in Psalm 84. I titled this message, Unleash Faith, because I believe when we start to look at the places God calls us to, whether it's places on that map where there are so many places where Christ is not known, difficult places, there's a reason that Jesus is not known there, yet they're difficult to reach. It's hard. And even when we think about where we live right here, our, our, our homes, our neighborhoods, our apartment buildings, our workplaces, our classrooms, that these can sometimes seem like difficult places. Very, we, we may look at them and say, oh, is it possible that Christ could be made known here? Is it possible that my neighborhood could be changed? Is it possible that my family could be changed? I wonder that all the time because my parents don't yet know Jesus Christ. And sometimes I look at them and I look at different situations I'm in and I start to wonder, I start to doubt. And I go to a conference like Ignite and somehow I get this big vision and I, and I get excited and I say, yes, God, I want to go out and transform the world. I want to be sent to the nations. I want to reach all these people. And then I start to look at this situation, and I get discouraged. And I start to wonder, is any change possible? And this morning, what I want us to realize is that so much of our ability to actually engage in the mission of God and live as a sent people is really about what's happening not out there, but what's happening in here, in our minds and our hearts. And with what kind of eyes we see the situations in the world that God has called us into. And so one thing to begin to start us off here today that I want to encourage all of us with is to unleash faith into unlikely situations. To unleash faith into unlikely situations that some of the places that seem the most unlikely, the most difficult, the most discouraging, that those are the places we most need to see faith at work in. It's those places that we need to see with eyes of faith and believe in what it is that God will do. And I wanted to share, as I said, just a few verses with you here from Psalm 84. And I've been slowly working my way through the Psalms at different points this year. And I came to these verses about a month ago and God really spoke to my heart through them. And I wanted, I just felt led to share them with you here today. And so let's start by looking at Psalm 84 verse 5. And everything will be up on the screen, but you can, you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles as well. Psalm 84. Verse 5 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And what we're going to see here as we look at these few verses in Psalm 84 is it's actually a picture of someone who is a pilgrim. A pilgrim moving walking, traveling from their home, wherever their home is, and traveling to Zion, to Jerusalem, specifically to the temple where they will go and meet with God. And so they're actually on a pilgrimage to go to that place where they want to be able to meet with God. And as we think about that picture, what I want to first invite us to consider this morning is actually the pilgrim's source. As he is going on this journey that actually, as we'll see here in a moment, is actually a very difficult journey. As he goes on this journey, he actually needs to have a source in his life, a source that's not outside of himself, but a source that's within that he can draw from to be able to make this journey and end up at his destination. And we notice in this verse that I just shared with you that really the, this pilgrim has two sources within him. And the first is that this pilgrim has strength in the Lord. He has strength in the Lord. And this is something that I think all of us talk about, like we think about. I think actually all of us want. We want to be strong in the Lord. We want to have this strength. None of us wants to be weak. None of us wants to feel like we don't have something. We want to have something. Recently, I was actually traveling. Uh, I was uh, flying to Los Angeles, and I had to go get on a plane and, and, and fly to Los Angeles. And in the, in the U.S., the way that they do the security screening in the airport is a little bit different from what I've seen here. I think here they mostly use metal detectors, right? But there in the U.S., they use these full-body scanners where it scans your body and it makes an image of it and someone then looks at that image to try to see, are you hiding anything on you? And I went through this, I went in the scanner, they make you stand like this and hold your hands up and then this thing goes boop and, and then you step out and they say, okay, wait a second. And when I stepped out, the, uh, the officer said, um, you're going to have to wait here a moment, sir. I, I, you know, it, the, there's something showing on the scan. 
And I was like, oh, okay. So I, I stand there. She said, yeah, wait a second. An officer is going to come, and he's going to pat you down, and he's going to check you out. And I was like, okay. I mean, I don't have anything on me. I don't have, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I think I'm safe. I'm, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm just standing there waiting. And while I'm waiting, I look over, and I see the picture of myself on the scan. And it actually highlights on it the places where they think you have something where you're hiding something. And so I look at the picture and it has me like this, and on it, the places that are highlighted are right here and right here. <laughs> and I was like, yeah? <laughs> you're right, you're right. And then finally the officer comes over and he takes me aside and he starts, he starts patting me down, whatever he pats here and pats here, he says, nothing there. <laughs> Man, <laughs> kind of wanted there to be there for something for a second, you know? But I, I think I, and, and this is what I feel like sometimes we're, we're like in this life. We, we want to be strong. We want to have strength. And yet in the moment when maybe we feel like we're being examined, we're being tested, it's like, oh, man, there's nothing there. We want to be strong. We want to have some strength within us to be able to live this life. And yet sometimes we feel like we don't have that strength. This pilgrim, he has that strength. Where does it come from? I think it comes in three specific ways that we receive strength from the Lord. I think one way that we receive strength from the Lord is actually by forsaking other sources of strength. Saying we're going to choose not to find our strength in anything else. Don't we see this theme repeated, especially throughout the Old Testament, like in Psalm 20, verse 7 to 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. See, there's a decision. They could choose to trust in chariots and horses. They could choose to trust in these other things. But they're saying, I'm not going to. That's not what makes me strong. That's not what makes me capable. That's not what makes it so that God can use me. I'm not going to find my strength in those things. I'm going to find my strength in God. And can I ask you, do you forsake other sources? Even when you think about how is God going to be able to use you? You know, I hear this sometimes, especially with young people. They'll say something like, well, I need to get this degree so that God can use me. I need to get this job so that God can use me. Oh, if I, I want to be a generous person, but I don't have enough money yet to be a generous person. When I have money, then God will use me to be generous. I'm so busy right now, I don't have any time. I need some time, and then, then when I have more time than everybody else, then I'll be able to use my time to serve God. I'm going to achieve this. And then when everyone sees how successful I am, then God can use me. Is that where you think your strength is? Is your strength in the approval of people? Is your strength in the achievements that you, that you get to? Is your strength in your own performance, your own ability, your own resources and time and energy? Or can you say, I'm forsaking those other sources? I'm not trusting in chariots and horses. I'm not trusting in those things. I'm trusting in God. That's how you find strength from him. Another way that I realize we receive strength from the Lord is not just by forsaking other sources, but also that we receive that strength specifically through commitment to God and no one else. Commitment to God. What I mean by this, and I think actually became clear to me, is that when we commit ourselves to God, we receive strength from him in a different way than if we're maybe not committed to him. Um, this, this became clear to me, actually, I really enjoyed uh, being able to attend uh, Pastor Bo and Erica's wedding recently in Michigan. They were there, and I, I got to be there, and I was so thankful uh, to be able to be there with them during that time. And I remember uh, when we were all there in the reception and having dinner together, and I remember Erica's maid of honor stood up to speak and to give a toast um, and Erica's maid of honor, she started sharing about how Erica was such an amazing friend and how Erica was her cheerleader and supporter and like really built her up and cheered her on in life. And I was like, wow, that sounds so awesome. And then she said, hey, Bo, you're, now, that, now that you're committing to her, now that you're marrying her, now she's going to be your cheerleader. She's going to give you her strength. She's going to build you up. She's going to help you now. The same way she was a cheerleader to me, now she's going to be a cheerleader and a support and a strength to you because you are committing to her. 
See, that's how strength in the Lord works too. When we're committed to God, he comes to strengthen us. So many of us, we want strength in the Lord, but we still want to be able to play the field. Do people say that here? Play the field? It's like if you're, da- like you're dating, you want the benefits of marriage, but you really just want to date around. That's the idea, and that's how many of us approach God. Say, God, well, I want your strength. I want you to strengthen me. And maybe we even complain to God, God, why aren't you strengthening me? But in your heart, you're not committed to him. Say, well, I want to still find my strength from these other things too. I want to still make these other things my source of life. I'm, I'm spreading myself around. I'm not putting all of my attention, all my commitment toward one, toward one thing. I'm spreading it around. When we commit to God, we receive strength from him. That's what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It doesn't say that he's looking around the world and he's going to strengthen those who hang out with him once in a while. People who say nice things about him from time to time. People who think about him every few weeks or so says he's going to strengthen those who are fully committed to him. That's God's heart for us. He wants to strengthen us. He's actually looking. Right now he's looking. He's saying, who here is fully committed to me? That's where my strength, that's where I want to give my strength. That's the person who I want to build up and strengthen. And so we discover strength in the Lord by forsaking other sources, receiving that strength through commitment. And lastly, I would just say is discovering through faith. You know, this is something that I've, realized over time. So many of us have never really experienced the fullness of God's strength because we only live in situations where we are still in control. We don't step out in faith. I think I see that, and I'm blessed by that when I see some of the people that I know were sent out from in Arbor and came here to plant this church. It's a big step of faith. Other teams we've sent out to plant churches, it's a big step of faith. And so, in so many ways, we're out of control. We're going beyond our own resources, beyond our own capabilities. We can't hold on to anything, any, onto these things anymore. We need to trust God. And when we step out into the unknown, when we step out into these situations that seem out of our control, that's where we receive strength from God. There are times in my life as a Christian when I felt like I was at the end of my strength, at the end of my rope, at the end of my perseverance and my own resources, and there was where I discovered the strength of God. Have you stepped out beyond your own resources, beyond your own capabilities, beyond what you can do in your own strength? And have you discovered there that God's strength is there waiting for you to build you up, to sustain you, to help you when things get very difficult? These are how, these are the ways that we actually receive strength from God. This is the part of the pilgrim's source of strength. And the second thing that we realize is that he not only has strength in the Lord, but we actually need to have a path in your heart. You need to have a path in your heart like this pilgrim does. What does it mean to have a path in your heart? And what does it mean, and what what actually is the path in your heart? All of us have one. What is yours, and what does it mean to have a path in your heart? See, I believe we have a path in our hearts when a few things come together. I think when you have a path in your heart, it's number one, when your destination is clear. You know where you want to get to. I talk to so many people about this all the time, that they have a destination in mind for their life. They say, I want to achieve this in my career. I want to have a family like this. I have these goals for my education. I want to live in this place. Their destination is clear. They know exactly where they want to end up. Not only do we need, not only do we have a path in our heart when the destination is clear, but also when your way is familiar. The way that you walk all the time, the way that you, you follow that same path all the time. You see, when your way is familiar, it's, it's the path that you will just automatically go to. This happens to me all the time, actually. And I wonder for some of you that this happens to you all the time as well. Um, you know, I, like when I'm driving, 
And I know not everyone here drives. Maybe you even experienced this using the MTR or different things like that. But sometimes when I'm driving, I will start to drive. And recently I was driving somewhere with my wife and I just started to turn the car down a, down a certain road. And my wife said, wait, where are you going? And I was like, I'm, I'm driving. And she said, I know you're driving, but we're not going that way. And I realized, oh, I got so used to driving that direction that I didn't even realize I was making that turn. See, some paths in our lives are so familiar that we automatically turn that way. We automatically go that way because it's the way we always go. That's part of having a path in your heart. And thirdly, I think we have a path in our heart when your desire is strong, when you really want something. You want it so much. Say, I must have it. I need to have it. I, I can't live without it. That's that strong desire in our hearts. And you see, this, is a, this path in your heart is actually growing and, and being discovered and being built throughout your lifetime. And what you do repeatedly and where your destination is and what you, the path that becomes familiar and what you really want to get to starts to form and shape your life. The Jewish people actually had ways that they carved out a path in their heart repeatedly. In fact, especially as we're reading a passage about this pilgrim, we need to remember that for the Jewish people, they actually had many festivals, but they specifically had three pilgrimage festivals. They're referred to in Exodus chapter 23. We're not going to take time to read those specific verses, but there were three pilgrimage festivals that every Jewish male was required to go to every year. So when they got into the promised land and the temple was built and the society was established, that then there were these three festivals that every Jewish man had to go to every year. No matter what he had, no matter where he was living, no matter how far away, he had to go to these festivals. One of those was the festival of the Passover. It was a time where they came to the temple in Jerusalem, the whole nation, all the people, and they came there to remember that they had been freed from slavery in Egypt and how God had set them free through the plagues and through, uh, through the, the Passover lamb being slain and the blood put on the doorposts and the, the angel of destruction passing over them, that God reminded them through this festival that they went to every year what it was that God had done for them. Another was the festival of Pentecost, That was the time when they remembered how God had met them at Mount Sinai and how God had given the law to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And God had said, you are my covenant people. I'm making a covenant with you to be your God. And I'm giving you this law that sets you apart as my people. They came regularly to remember that. And the third one is the Festival of Tabernacles. This is a time when all the people, they would gather to Jerusalem and they would all live in tents or in booths. They would build a temporary structure to live in. And it was to remind them of God's provision for them in the wilderness wandering when they left Egypt and were on their way to the promised land. Those 40 years when they had to live in tents and temporary dwellings because they had no permanent home yet. They remembered God's faithfulness, how he provided the manna and the quail, and he gave them everything that they need. They're saying, I remember this. And year after year after year, even for this pilgrim that we're reading about here today, he would have gone year after year after year throughout his lifetime going to celebrate the Passover, going to remember Pentecost, going to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles, saying again and again and again by walking that path. It would become so familiar to him. He would probably walk that path toward Jerusalem and he would see, oh, I remember that rock. I remember that tree. It's a little bit bigger this year than it was last year. I remember crossing this river. I remember going through this place. I remember meeting that person who lives nearby. That path would become so familiar, and the destination was so clear, and they would long to go and be there with God in Zion, a lifetime of repeated journeys. What are the repeated journeys you make in your life? How has that started to shape you? Because all of us are creating that path in our hearts. Another way to think about this, I I see less of these examples around here because there's not very much grass in the city. But in the U.S., there's a lot of open spaces. And there are these things called desire paths. It's kind of a weird name for it. But it's a name for a path when someone doesn't walk on the sidewalk or on the street, but they actually walk through a consistent path in the grass, and it creates a new path. Here's an example of one. 
um, where in this field, you can see, well, there's a street around it, but people so consistently walked that path through this open space that it created a new path. Right, here's another one. This one doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Stairs right there. But people have gone down that path so often. It's created a new path by people consistently walking on it. Here's another. This is a field at Virginia Tech University. You can see there are some paved sidewalks like this one. And then there are some desire paths like this one and this one and this one. And I bet the school will probably eventually pave those paths that have been carved out by people by repeatedly walking on it. What are the desire paths in your life? What is the path in your heart? I'm just guessing that for some of us, we are carving out a path in our heart, walking it consistently. We know where we want to go. We desire so much to get there, and we're consistently walking on that path that the path of our heart may be actually firmly set in a certain direction. And I wonder how many of us, maybe that desire path is even, I don't know, I wonder if there are some of us here that maybe you check your bank account balance or your investment account more often than you open your Bible. What, what does that do for the path of your heart? Do you know when you, know when you like look at your phone or you're on your computer or something like that and you look at a, a, an app or a website and you like scroll through everything and you're like, oh, okay, I look through everything and you close the app and you put it down and then like one minute later you open it and you look at the same app again? You look at the same website? Those things that just shapes us. We go to entertainment. We go to our own successes. We go to these certain things that we want to perform, and we, we shape our lives through that repeated activity. Here, this pilgrim, he is repeatedly going to Jerusalem, repeatedly going to the temple, going to Zion, going to meet with God, making that pilgrimage so that the path of his heart is firmly set do you realize how significant it is that when you gather on Sunday like this to worship, that God is using that to shape the path of your heart? Do you realize when you make time for life group to say, this is a priority, I'm going to commit to it, because when I commit to God, he strengthens me, that you're shaping the path of your heart, that when you open the word of God every day and spend time in prayer, that God is shaping then the path of your heart, when you make space for discipleship or accountability, you're saying, God, I I'm, I'm I'm, want to shape that path in my heart. I want it to be toward you. Do you realize how significant that is? When on a daily basis, you might think, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll do it later. I'll go next week. I'll make time for it next month. And when we choose other paths that might not even be bad things, maybe they're good things, but we're making that the path of our hearts instead of making it making our hearts take a path toward the Lord. This is what the pilgrim is doing. This is his source of life. And now as we continue here in the next couple of verses, I want us to start looking at the pilgrim's path that he actually is now following. What is the journey that he is on? As he follows that path in his heart toward Zion, what does it actually look like for him? Let me read these next couple of verses to us. Psalm 84, verse 6 to 7. It says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Let's think about these verses a little bit and understand what is going on here. You see, the psalmist, he talks about how for these pilgrims, as they would go toward Jerusalem, toward Zion, that they would go through something called the valley of Baca. And just so you know, historians and archaeologists actually aren't able to find a specific place, as far as we know, actually called the Valley of Baca. So what is this talking about? We're not sure. Maybe it existed. Maybe it didn't. But the interesting thing is, the word Baca, number one, it's referring to a certain kind of small tree or bush, but also the root, the root word for that is actually the same as weeping or crying, and partly because that bush would weep sap out of it. It would drip sap from the branches and from the leaves, but it's referred to as a weeping bush. 
a weeping tree. And so when this pilgrim is going through the valley of Baca, he is going through a very difficult place, a place that is dry, that there's, it's a desert, there's nothing there. It's difficult, it's painful to go down this path through the valley of Baca. That's what he's talking about. It's a place of weeping. It's a place of sadness. It's a place of mourning and difficulty. And when he looks at this place, he says, how could anything good come from here? It's just a place of pain and sadness and weeping. And I wonder for some of you what your valley of Baca is where that place of sadness is for you, where that valley of difficulty is for you. For some of you, when you go to school, when you go to your classroom, and you're studying something that you don't really want to be studying, but you just have to go through it, you have to get your degree, and you say, why am I here? Why is this so hard? Why do I have to go down this path? For some of you, you go to work in the morning. You're going to go to work tomorrow morning, and you're going to sit down at your desk, and you're going to say, oh, I can't stand being here. I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. I don't like the work I'm doing. My relationships with my coworkers are strained. This is a difficult place. It's a place of weeping for me. For some of you, the sad thing is that even ministry can turn into this. We start serving out of our own strength. We forget why we do what we do. We stop living in the truth of the gospel. We become divided with other believers. There gets to be a bitterness in our soul. And even showing up here to be part of the church family, trying to go to life group, you're like, oh, God, in my heart, it's a difficult place. Maybe it's even in your family. Things are difficult in your family. Maybe it's in your marriage. There's tension with your spouse that's unresolved. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your parents or your siblings. That these can be difficult places. And when we think about those places, we look at it, we say, how could anything good happen here? How could things possibly change? Maybe we even think about some of the places God is calling us to to be his witnesses here in Hong Kong or maybe in a place like China, maybe in other places in that circle. And we say, wow, there are no Christians there. There's no one there who knows Jesus. In fact, there might be threat of violence there against people who follow Jesus. There might be difficulty and oppression for people and persecution for people who know Jesus. And, and I'm scared to go there. I'm scared to be in that place. It just seems like a place of mourning and weeping. What good could come there? We could become afraid to go into those places. That's the Valley of Baca. It's on the way to meet with God in Zion. And here's the amazing thing. While this pilgrim is walking through the Valley of Baca, a dry desert place. There, something amazing happens. There, springs and rains spring up from the ground and fall down from the sky to, to cover this place, to cover it with pools, to make it a place of springs, to, to make it a place now of life. Suddenly, this place that looks so empty and so dry and so barren, suddenly life starts to spring forth. And for the ancient peoples at that time, they didn't fully understand the natural world that they lived in. They actually believed that there are storehouses of waters under the ground and that there's a storehouse of water up in the heavens that God, that, that, that God would actually have to open a window to let it out. And he's saying, now in this dry valley, this difficult valley, now the heavens have been opened. There's a fresh outpouring the springs of the earth have been opened and now this water's coming up and water's falling down and the dry place now becomes a place of life. Life is springing forth in this place. How could that be possible? <coughs> you know, recently, um, I got to make a trip with my family. I got to share a little bit yesterday about my... my, my or Yesterday or Friday, I can't remember. I got to share a little bit about my wife, Gina. Uh, this is my son, Nicholas, and my wife, Gina. Uh, for those of you who haven't, haven't gotten to meet them. Uh, this is a fairly recent picture. 
Um, and this, Nicholas is uh, just almost eight years old now. The, the picture you showed at the beginning was like an old picture we have on our website. We need to update it. Um, you can see he's getting a little bit bigger here. And this is them. We were just on a recent uh, vacation together. And um, we actually decided to go and, and visit some family friends. Um, but, but, and I'll share about that in just a second. But here's my wife and my son. And here's actually my son out on a, a play structure near our house. Um, you see he's starting to lose his teeth in the front there. It's really cute. He's actually lost both front teeth now, so he's got that big gap. It's really cute. Um, but actually, this is, this is what he looks like most of the time. Actually, that picture of him without his glasses on, most people have never seen him without his glasses on. They don't know what he looks like without them because he almost always wears them. Uh, some of you know he's visually impaired. Um, he's, you know, especially in bright light. You can see here, even it's a cloudy day but he still needs to have those glasses on because otherwise he can't see in the bright light. It's blinding to him and he can't see very far away and he can't see colors and he has some limitations to his vision, but he's a super happy kid and every day is a good day for him. Um, but you know, this is him and recently um, we actually decided to take a vacation to Arizona. And if you don't know, Arizona is a state in the western part of the United States and the entire state is a desert. In fact, this is what Arizona usually looks like. There's nothing there, <laughs> right? And we decided to go there because we had some family friends leaving, living outside of a big city called Phoenix. So we went there, we flew, uh, flew out to Phoenix, and we, we, we got there, we got in a rental car, and uh, we started driving. We started driving out, into, uh, out toward our family friend's house that was a little ways outside of town. And as we start driving, that way, um, I st you know, we're just having a conversation in our car, my wife and my son and I, and I say, oh, Nicholas, we're driving through the desert right now. You, you've never been in the desert before, but we're driving through the desert right now. And he, he tells me, he says, no, we're not. I'm like, well, boy, first, I'm your father. <laughs> I think I know a little better than you what you know, where we are, and yes, we are driving through a desert, you're wrong, I'm right. And then secondly, I'm thinking, you can't see, so, you know, <laughs> it's just true. I mean, he just, you know, he has limitations. So I'm like, how can you, how can you say we're not driving through the desert? But he said, no, and I said, Nicholas, we are in the desert. And he said, no, Dad, I look, look out the window. And I look out there, and I realize some, there's something going on. Because you see, Arizona, in Arizona, it rains maybe once a year at most. Almost never rains there. But the day before we arrived, it had just rained a little bit. Just a little bit. Like a few raindrops had fallen the day before we arrived. And I didn't realize it, but even in a desert like Arizona, when just a little bit of rain falls, it actually starts to look like this picture instead. out of a desert where there's nothing there. You can't see anything growing, anything living. It looks like nothing could ever grow there with just a little bit of rain. Suddenly the desert springs to life. It's called a desert bloom. It just takes a little bit of water. And I saw that. And then a little while later, I read these verses. And I said, now I understand. Now I understand. In this valley of weeping, in this dry desert place, I look at it and I think, nothing's possible here. Nothing could ever grow here. Nothing could live in a place like this. It is a place of death. It's a place of sadness. Nothing could happen here. And we look at our, we look at these places in our lives like that. My work, oh, nothing good could happen here. My school, nothing could happen here. My future plans, I don't know what it looks like. Oh, nothing good could happen there. We become fearful. We become overwhelmed. We think, what could be possible? We become afraid and intimidated. We think, what could happen here? But beneath the surface, even in a place like that, we don't understand there are actually seeds of life there that are waiting for just a little bit of rain to spring forth and become a place of life. I don't know if you realize how many prayers have been sown into your lives. How many people around the world are praying for Hong Kong, 
how many people around the world, believers in Jesus Christ, are praying for China? How many people are saying, God, we're crying out for a place where Jesus is not known. We're praying that Jesus, you would be made known, you would be glorified. People would place their faith in you and enter into eternal life. Even here, when you maybe, you're praying about your future and you say, God, I just don't know how my dreams are going to become a reality. You're praying for your family situation. You say, God, I don't know if my prayers are ever going to be answered. You're praying for that struggle in your life, that struggle with sin or addiction or a stronghold in your heart. You're saying, I don't know if things can ever change in my heart. And those prayers are being sewn in. You're saying, God, I don't know if it's ever going to change. That as those prayers are being sewn in, even into a dry desert place, All it takes is a little bit of water to pour down on those seeds that are planted and God can make life spring forth from places where it seems impossible. And that's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you notice in these verses, that in verse six it said, as the pilgrims travel through that valley, they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. I don't know about you, but I don't think in my own strength that I can make anything a place of springs. Why is it that they're able to do that? It's because they don't just have their own strength. They have the strength of the Lord. They aren't just walking some other path of this world. They're walking the path to Zion. That path in their heart is so established and they're strong in the Lord. And so they, as they sow prayers in and as they walk through this valley, they make it a place of of springs. They make the rains fall because they're actually carrying the Spirit of God with them. And wherever they go, they bring the presence of God with them. They bring the word of God with them. They bring the life of God with them into those dark places, into those desert places. They make it spring forth. And the amazing thing is, even even while they're on a really difficult journey through a dry desert place where there is no life, it actually says not only do they make it a place of springs, but it also says that they go from strength to strength. And I don't know about you, but when I travel, especially for a while, like I just did to to come here, it was like a 20-hour trip or something like that, Just even just sitting on an airplane, I'm sitting there, I'm not doing anything. Right, I'm watching movies that I have no interest in because there's nothing else to do. I'm just sitting there watching movies. Oh, gosh, this is boring. And I'm trying to stay awake because I want to be able to get a head start on the jet lag. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, gosh. And I'm not doing anything. I'm not walking around. I'm not running. I'm not working. You know, But I, I arrive after traveling, and I'm exhausted. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm so tired after this journey when I sat there and did nothing. How much more when you're actually journeying through a dry desert place, maybe riding on a donkey or something, walking along a dusty path. And yet this traveler, this pilgrim, he's traveling, and instead of getting tired, it actually says he gets stronger and stronger. Stronger and stronger. Strength to strength. You see, this is when you start to see that you have the strength of the Lord in you. Pastor Seth mentioned the story of Job last night, and I'll mention him as well. Some of you know the story of Job. He had the worst possible things happen to him. His life became a desert place. He had his family taken from him. He had all of his possessions taken from him, wiped out in a disaster. He had his health taken from him to where he was at the point of death. He had nothing left. His life, out of any other life, was like the worst it could possibly be. And he sat there in mourning before God and having this conversation with his friends. And even when his life was at that worst possible place, here's what he says. In Job 17, 9, yet the righteous holds to his way and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. Do you realize that this life is actually possible for you? You see, when we start to get tired, we tend to drift off from the path, don't we? I'm tired. I don't want to go to life group this week. I'm tired. I don't want to spend time with God right now. 
I'm overwhelmed. I'm afraid. I don't want to take a step of faith beyond my own strength and ability and resources. I just want to play it safe. I want to leave the path. I want to sit on the sidelines and just wait. Do something else. Go a different way. The righteous holds to his way. And he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. God wants you not to just grow weaker and weaker and just be overwhelmed and crushed by life. He wants you to become stronger and stronger even as you go through some of the most difficult times in life, some of the most difficult places in your life. And ultimately, the reason all this happens and the goal of all this happening is that at the end of the story that this pilgrim is going to appear before God. He is going to appear before God in Zion. This is the treasure, the goal of the pilgrimage. And as we think about all this, wait a second. Do I actually need to go to Jerusalem? Do I actually need to go to Mount Zion? Wait, the temple has been destroyed. There's no way to get there now. How can I appear before God in Zion if there's no temple anymore? How can I appear before God in Zion if I can't get a visa? If my passport won't let me go there? How can I go there? Well, there's good news, brothers and sisters. Because this is why Jesus Christ came into this world. This is why he came to you and I, because he saw us in our desert place. He saw us in a place where life was impossible because we were separated from God. He saw us in a place where we couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't get stronger. We could only get weaker because of all the sin that enslaved us and separated us from relationship with our Father. But Jesus saw us in our condition, and the Father said, I'm going to send you, Jesus. I'm going to send you to come and live among them, and you're going to live the perfect life. You're going to stay on the righteous path. You're going to get stronger and stronger even as you head to the cross where there you will lay down your life and shed your blood for the sins of the world so that now when people place their faith in you, they can actually come into the presence of God, and not only that, the presence of God can live in them. You see, Jesus said these words that I know you know in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what you need to realize is that as you try to go on this path, you try to establish this path in your heart, you want to go toward God, you want to go through the dark desert place and believe that there's life possible there, what you need to realize is that you need Jesus with you and in you on that path in order to be able to get there into the presence of God. I was reminded about this recently. I was actually having, uh, having lunch yesterday with uh, Sarah and Dion and Jackson. It was really good. They're old friends, just getting to catch up with them. And I was sharing some stories with them about when I got to visit uh, the country of Jordan about a year and a half ago or so. If you know, Jordan is in the Middle East, and it's a, generally speaking, it's a Muslim nation, and there are actually refugees gathered there from all over the known world. But I remember when I was there, I had a very interesting experience. And this is when I went. Um, we took a missions team there. Um, but actually this is a trip I made before that when I went uh, on my own with a friend named Pastor Mark, who some of you know from Ann Arbor. And uh, we went there together, and when we were there, um, we were staying with some hosts, and they were, they were hosting us, and, and they said, hey, we want to take you to meet a friend of ours. And I said, oh, meet a friend? They said, yeah, we're just going to take a little drive, and we're going to meet a friend. And I said, oh, okay, like, where's, where's this friend? They said, don't worry, just, just get in the car. Okay, So we get in the car, and we start driving outside the city, and we drive for a long time, and we drive out into the desert, and it's one of those places that looked like Arizona, but without the mountains, there's just nothing there, and we drive for a long time, and we're, we drive off the road, and we're not on a road anymore, but we're just driving over the desert, and after a while, as we're driving, I see something in the distance. I see something kind of rising out of the desert before us. It's a small, it's a small village. And in the middle of the village, there is this, what I can only describe as a palace. It's a palace there in the middle of the village. And we drive up to the palace. And we stop and we get out of the car. And there I meet this man. This is the, the sheikh. So the only way I know how to call him. I felt very underdressed for the occasion, by the way. <laughs> I thought I was just going to meet a friend. This is the sheikh. 
And he is the tribal leader of millions of people there in the Middle East, not just within Jordan, but across the entire region. He is literally their king. And he lives there in this palace in the middle of the desert. And I meet him. I go up to him and say, hello, I introduce myself. And he welcomes us into his palace, into his home. He brings us into a room where there's this, it's this room full of just beautiful things, beautiful rugs and cushions and furniture. And, he, and we sit down there in the room and he starts to bring out, has his servants actually bring out all this food, this amazing food for us to eat. And I sit down there and I start enjoying the food and he sits down next to me and he points at me and he says, the crown prince of Jordan was sitting right there last week. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here in my running shirts? <laughs> I felt so unworthy, but I'm enjoying this food. It's delicious. And he just hosts us. He brings us these amazing drinks, and we just enjoy the afternoon there. And I just feel like, wow, like why, why do I get the privilege of meeting this man? Why do I get the privilege of being in this, in this home? And actually, to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, it's the kind of situation where if I had shown up there without the friends that I was with, without our hosts, it wouldn't be too surprising if something might have happened to me in a place like that. It's that kind of place where things happen to people who are not Muslims and people who are foreigners. And only because I came there with my friend Rami was I introduced to the sheikh and welcomed into his home to sit down for a banquet, to sit down where royalty usually sits, to enjoy that meal with him. And this, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus Christ does for you and I. If we were to appear before God just by ourselves, all we, would, all we could face is judgment. All we could face is judgment for our sin and our rebellion against God. But because we approach God with Jesus Christ, his son, standing with us, that we are now clothed in his righteousness, not in our own shame, and fear and guilt. That now as we stand before God with his son, Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you where you can be with him, live with him, enjoy all the benefits of his kingdom, all the glory of living with the eternal father. You can enjoy that because you arrive with me. You walk the path with me because I am the way. Some of you here today, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ before. You've been walking through this life trying to find your own path, trying to, trying to use your own strength in desert places. You've been trying to make your own way, and you need to realize that it's only as you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the one who can welcome you into the eternal home of the Father, only then are you going to be able to grow from strength to strength. Only then are you going to be able to follow a path in your heart that leads to life and not to death. Only then are you going to be able to realize that the Spirit of God lives in you so that in the desert places that you can actually make them places of springs and rains and things that are growing and living instead of dead and painful. That is what God wants for you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die. And that's the truth that all of us now live in. That's why I shared with you at the beginning that we need to unleash faith into unlikely situations because God is calling you and I and our family of churches not to just take the easy path of this world, not to avoid those places of difficulty, but to run into them, not to avoid people different from ourselves, but to run to them, not to avoid people who don't know Jesus, but to say, I'm coming to you even when it's difficult, even when it's, uh, even when it's scary, even when in natural eyes I see no potential here, but I'm going to walk by faith faith. I'm going to go walking with Jesus Christ full of his spirit and I'm going to show up there and I'm going to believe that springs are going to come forth and rain is going to fall down and in a place of death, life is going to start to spring forth. That is the faith that we need to have here in Hong Kong and in China and around the world where God is going to take you to. And here as we conclude, I want to challenge you with how this can happen. So now a decision is placed before us. And I want to share two things with you. First is I want to challenge you to walk a consistent path. A lot of us don't realize how important some of the disciplines of our lives are. That we commit 
to worshiping with the church on Sunday, that we commit to being part of a spiritual community and life group, that we commit to the word of God and prayer, even things like fasting and reflection and and accountability and all these things that it shapes our lives and it shapes our lives to to go down a path that leads to life. You just need to realize that some of the paths you have been following are not gonna lead to life. They're false hopes. It leads to death and destruction. Choose to walk a consistent path toward God, toward Jesus Christ, and see what he will do. And secondly, as I wanna challenge you to sow prayers into desert places. To sow in those prayers. To plant those seeds by faith. Some of you, God's putting dreams in your hearts to go and be used for his purposes in China. Pray like crazy for China, for the people groups that God is calling you to. Some of you, you're looking at your family. You say, I don't know if anything good can happen in my family, in my marriage, or with my kids, or with my extended family. Pray, sow prayers of faith into those situations Some of you, it's in your workplace. You say, oh, I'm dreading going to work tomorrow morning. I don't want to be there. I don't want to see my boss. Pray for them. Pray for your classroom. Pray for your friends. Pray and sow in those prayers. Believe in God can do something with it. In James 5, verse 17 to 18, it says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just a normal person like you and me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He had a nature like ours, brothers and sisters, just like you and I. At his prayer, God shut up the heavens. And at his prayer again, the heavens released their rain. Can you believe that as you lift up prayers of faith for these different areas of your life that might seem so frightening, so difficult, so painful, that God can release his reign, that God can release his power, that God can bring life in those desert places. Let's pray and let's believe that God is able to do that. Will you stand with me?